0: Well, hello again. I grew up in the jungle, and there's certain things we don't do in the jungle, and one of them is use car washes. I learned something today, pretty important, but after this session this morning, I thought I'm going to go out and clear my head a bit, get ready for this session now. So I thought I might as well get some gas. I need gas for the ride home tonight. So I went down to K Canadian Tire, and they have a car wash. And I'm used to using the wand type. I have only used very few of the fancy automatic drive-in. They wash you. Oh, let's do something different. I'm trying to clear my head, a little change of thinking. So I went, paid for it when I got my gas. I drove around, and I had this receipt, and I figured there must be a code. And sure enough, there's a spot you punch numbers in, but to punch numbers in, you put your window down, punch the numbers in, and these lights are coming on. Go for it. I'm watching so carefully, and this is really fun. And I learned two things. First of all, when they design those, they design them so the water puts full blast right at head height of the driver. And the second thing I learned is you should put the window up before you go in. (laughs) I got blasted, everything. My car was dripping (laughs) on the way home. I'm still dripping. I'm dry now, but I looked pretty wet for a while. It, It just soaked me.
1: We never did that in the jungle, so I learned the hard way. Frank had asked if I would do this session on the realities of the unreached, why are they unreached,
0: and spend some time looking at statistics. I don't know. We came up last night a few times with the numbers and statistics as you're trying to do the Bible trivia. Remember what number and exactly? Well, they said 9%. They said 3%. They said 1%. Some said 7,000. Whatever the number was, it's quite a variety. Well, if you try to do research on missions and get all the right numbers and you want to give something accurate, guess what? You're going to kind of feel like that water pouring in on you, like there's so much information. What did I do with it all? That's, I did not go to the car wash to give me that illustration. (laughs) I could have found better ways to get an illustration, but I'm driving back thinking that's what it feels like when you speak about statistics and missions. There's just so much information, what's accurate, what's not, what is usable, what is not. So we're going to take some time to look at that, and we'll look at some other things as well. Um, And by the way, at the end, I'm hoping to be
1: done early enough. We have a time for some questions and answers. Not that I'll always have answers, but we can talk, okay? Oh, you did tell me to turn that on. See, technology.
0: There's a pile of slides I could put up here. Last night it came up. How many people groups are in in the world? How many unreached people groups? That one on top there is from joshuaproject.com. And that's probably the um, webpage most people go to. Honestly, it's the one I go to first. They have a lot of really good information, very helpful information in prayer. Um, But there are numbers. Then you go to somebody else. Probably the next most popular would be peoplegroups.org. The IMB have an excellent website called um, Global Resources. Wycliffe has some excellent information. But when you go to people joshuaproject.com. Go there first. You're going to see all these numbers. And that's the more recent one, 16,562 total people groups in the world. But last night was a little different number from Joshua Project. So it changes fast. There's about 6,847 unreached people groups according to Joshua Project. Now you look at that and then you go to another and they have a very different numbers. I was recently, well, last year at a conference where a speaker from, well, James Kim was there from Pioneers, and I was there. And his number said there's over 5,000 unreached people groups. And I get up, and I was aware of what he had just said. And I said, there's about 2,500 unreached people groups in the world, which is exactly half of what he had just quoted. And I did that on purpose, so that is the number we've been using, but it's half. So what, what, why is that? That's what I want to spend some time looking at. It's important for you to understand what is going on. But I also have this here slide up. This is actually from the IMB, and this was interesting. I just want to highlight, I should point the right one, these two right here. I don't know if you guys can read that, but 75% of international students will never enter an American home. There's a lot of talk of all the people coming to North America. There's a lot of emphasis in reaching those because they're coming to us, but the reality is, I think it's as of like 2019, only 25% of those coming here and then going back to their home country actually had the opportunity to come into a North American's home. And that would be believers and unbelievers. This next one is very interesting. 85% of international students return to their home country, never having experienced a meaningful relationship with the believer. I appreciate the emphasis in reaching those coming here, and that's important, but we've got to really, really do it. If only 15% of those coming and going back had a meaningful relationship with the believer, we've really got to get on top of this. That is not the best strategy. It's a great strategy, it's a strategy, but not the best or the only one to reach this world. We've got to stay engaged in all the world. Another couple quick thoughts here to point this out. See this circle right here? That circle... My hands are so steady, you can just see the light bouncing. That circle, over half of the world live in that circle. Over half. There's more people in that circle than outside the circle. So should we put a lot of emphasis in that area? Absolutely. Does that mean we ignore the rest? Absolutely not. Then the last night, this came up,
1: the 10-4, oops, sorry, wrong button. Oh, we're really flying now. Are we both doing this at the same time here? Okay, go back to the, and then I'll try it with this. Go back one more. Right
0: there. See the 1040 window? Where, see if I get the right button here. Right here. That's the 1040. We talked about that last night. Really important because there's an incredible number of unreached people groups in that 1040 window. And yet, some of the biggest pockets are also just out of the 1040 window down, out, down in Thailand, getting down into Indonesia. But there's still a lot in Africa. Africa's phenomenal, the re- numbers of unreached people groups there. Addressing the question of why, a lot of North Africa is very unreached because it's incredibly difficult to get there. The government, um, the physical lifestyle, it's really, really tough. And yet those that are willing to say, man, Lord, I'm willing to give it all.
1: And you want to go to the toughest places in the world, some of the areas of the North are really. And yet they need the Lord. Okay,
0: this is just a typical, grab a picture. This is what you'll see in many conferences. You'll see different statements. There's 7,000 7, unreached people groups. Um, they're not lying. That also comes from Joshua Project, which is ironic when you have other numbers. So you get quite a variety and it depends even what web pages you're looking at for the different sites. Over 3 billion people are unlikely to meet a Christian and may well live their whole lives without an opportunity to hear the gospel. That's, there's almost 8 billion people in the world today, right? Is it eight? Almost nine. I think it's almost eight. So a lot of the world hasn't heard the gospel. So what these things
1: you do need to walk away with, there's a huge need in front of us. Still, Commit to pray for and advocate for unreached people groups. This one, again, I'm not
0: going to leave this up long. You can look at, can you read the, yeah, you can read it there. It's from joshuaproject.com also, but it shows the significantly reached and a whole band right around, but you can see how many of the world will still be under the unreached category. And then this right next door talks about total in the world, the unreached, and the unengaged. And in missions, there's another term that's starting to be used a lot. It's called the misreached. We're starting to put teams in the far north of Canada, but we can't say they're unreached. There's an Anglican church, and probably many 100 years ago, there was a clear gospel message. Probably There's not today. They're very misreached. There's nobody in their community that can share the gospel, or they have access to it, yet they've had it. So we we're defining them more as misreached. They still need the Lord. And they still our hearts still see a thriving, mature church established there. I'm going to look at a couple of definitions because these are, this is the biggest reason that we're having all these numbers. How you define a people group will define how many unreached people groups there are. Does that make sense? You talk about, oh, I'll come to that slide in a moment. I think it might be the next one. But this is from peoplegroups.org. They've defined it quite clear, but as you read this, it's kind of even hard. I've read over, and I read it, and I read it, and yeah, there's a differences here, and I'm, gonna, I'm not going to insult your intelligence. You can read it. But you look, and you think, okay, yeah, I think I see the difference, but is it all that different? It, it's, it's really hard sometimes to define. I was reading one commentator, commentator on this topic, and they were saying, basically, the science of studying the numbers of the unreached is extremely complex. I'm going to bring up some more factors here in a moment. But as you look at it, so the unengaged and unreached are different. The, uneng- the unreached, basically, and generally people would say, if there's less than 2% evangelical Christians, they're unreached. And that the reason they're saying that if you have left less than 2%, you don't really have enough to see momentum take place, to see a church and a movement within that people group to turn to Christ. Um, Joshua, like peoplegroups.org, who this came from, they just say, or less of evangelical Christians. Joshua Project will add the phrase and less than 5% of professing Christians. So you might have 4% that are nominal Christians. They don't really know the Lord, but they claim to be Christian. If there's up to 4%, Joshua Project would still say, well, they're still unreached because they're really... So they all have slightly different ways of defining it. It's important to understand that. The unengaged basically would say, yeah, there's no gospel not enough to bring a church established, it's less than 2%, but there's not really a plan to do anything. They're kind of just existing. A lot of the unreached, there's people moving that way, or there's an effort, and so that would separate the unreached from the unengaged. There's there's no strategy yet to reach them. So here's your three main people group, or um, research groups. These guys do an excellent job. There's more funding going towards counting numbers than ever before. It's just like marriage. There's more books being written on marriage than ever before, but the numbers keep going up. There's more research being done on the numbers of the unreached and more funding going towards that than ever, which is good. is helpful. And yet, it's not bringing a ton more clarity. But what we still do know is there's still a lot of unreached people groups. And a lot, meaning they're still in the thousands, okay? All three of these, and if you add on the um, IMB's global resource and Y-clip. There's five. Those would be your biggest ones. All of them have a different definition for what's an unreached. They will all come up with different numbers. And they all have a different num- way of coming to their um, information. For example, Joshua Project, well, between people groups and Joshua Project, is quite different. If a lot of our fields, we have folks working there and they, they get this research, and I say, wait a minute, that, that, that group's had a missionary for 10 years. They're not unreached. So you write peoplegroups.com, and if it comes from a reliable source, they'll change it. Joshua Project, you can write them, and they, they don't ever change it because they can't keep up with all the numbers, and they're looking at much broader things. And so with Joshua Projects, numbers don't change near as fast. And so sometimes you're looking at something that, yeah, 10 years ago, they actually got a mission. It was actually a church started, but they're still in the unreached category. And we, have, we see many cases of that. does not mean Joshua Project is bad, but it means the specific numbers, they're, little, they're not quite as on top of it. Um, yet I like Joshua Project because it's excellent for giving you clarity and prayer and some big picture but recognize there's some information they're slower to change here's another thing to be aware of you guys see I believe this comes off of Joshua Project and I'm not coming against them I use them a lot but there's realities but if you look at this see the fade up top here and I'm going to any of you from these areas I'm going to guarantee I'll say it wrong I'm going to can I just say I'll say it wrong on purpose that way I'm not even trying to say it right <clears throat> the afaid they're labeled as two people groups, but look it, they're the same people, but they're in two countries. So your numbers, depending on which group, some groups will say, this is one people group, but another guy will say, no, it's, Four people groups, because they're in four countries. And there's real reasons for that. If you're in four countries, you really can't, usually somebody coming in to bring them the gospel can't bounce around in all four countries. They can only focus on one country. So in a sense, it's one people group that's accessible to them. But they're actually in four people group, or four countries, one people group. So some of these guys would class that as one people group. Others, like Joshua Project, would say that's four people groups. That really it's one, but in four countries. Strategically, there's reasons for that. So it's not like one is lying or the information's all wrong. It's just there's different realities they're working with. It's important to understand that. So I'm just trying to give a quick big picture view. Here's here's a very um, clear. (laughs) Clear as mud. It's actually good because it gives you a feel just in this Africa, Asia, or Europe area where the people groups are and where the most. But yet, could you sit and define every one of those circles and say it's in the wrong place? Probably not. Keep going here. So here, let me just, and I'm going to say, I guarantee I'll say this wrong, but the Bhopuri in India, that's one dot. That's one people group. And yet, in um, many of them, they're defined as 12 different groups because of caste, you can't, because of accessibility, because of dialect. Some of these dialects are so different that they're almost a different language, yet they really are the same language. They're so different that it would take a whole different team to reach them. And so it's one people group, but they're labeled as 12, which is right. There's reasons. Strategically, it's important to understand, well, if you're going to reach the Mali, then you probably need another team to go to the Nai, right at the bottom, too, because they're dialectual changes, and they're so different. And you look at the numbers. That's over 10 million people represented by one group, or 12. That's 10 million. That's a lot. So one team is probably not going to reach all 10 million. So breaking it down has real value. But labeling as 12 people groups might not be accurate, and yet maybe it is. So you is that making some sense? I'm trying to share with you some of the complexities that these groups are trying to deal with in giving us numbers, and you will see different numbers. <clears throat> but I would say here's the bottom line. I love this passage from 2 Timothy 4.17. Paul writes, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And as we look at reaching the world, the unreached, we need apart from the Lord, it's, don't even consider it. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed. That is so important. Paul's heart was to see the whole message with clarity, fully, people understanding it, engaging it. I don't know if he meant all this, but when it's in their own heart language, they're going to get it so much better. Fully proclaimed. We could spend all day talking about that concept of fully proclaiming. The Whole truth, Christ said, Teach them all the things I've taught you, the full picture. Not, it, it takes, it takes a guy's investment of your life to do this. And, and he, he he unpacks it farther, he says, All the ethnos, all the people groups. Does that mean Bopuri is one or the Bopuri is 12? You know, let the Lord figure that out, but all of them, and until it comes back, we still have work to do. You get to be the privileged one to reach the last one and then the rapture happens or even eschatologically how that works. We'll let that Lord figure that one out too. But all the Gentiles might hear it. That was his heartbeat way back in the early church. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. He probably would have died sooner, but the Lord said, you're not done yet, Paul. Here's one more glimpse at a different way of looking at it is the Bible. We talked about this last night, ironically. I had to give my PowerPoint yesterday afternoon, so when I'm watching it last night, I think, oh, this is good, but we're going to cover some of this again today. <clears throat> There's two ways of looking at this, and this, this slide might discourage you. The next slide will really encourage you, and it's the same information. Isn't that funny about statistics? We can tell you two things. But first of all, each one of those dots represents 25 languages, okay? So why, Cliff, do I personally would say is probably the most accurate when it comes to languages? I really would not argue with them, but if you want to argue with me, that's fine. Just go ahead without me. I'll join you later. But um, Wycliffe would say there's about 700
1: languages. You can see off to the side there, if you count the sign languages, there's more. But the full Bible, sorry, did I say 7,000 7, languages? 353. The full
0: Bibles translated into 698 languages. That many languages, almost 700, have the full Bible. That is awesome. But you look at all those dots, and if every dot represents 25 languages, there's a long way to go. They would say that of the New Testament, that many have, 1548 have the whole New Testament. They would say portions. That means these are probably works that are in progress. The Bible's in the middle of being translated, so there's about 1,138 languages that have portions of the New Testament. And probably some of the old. But there's still 3,969, almost 4,000 languages that have no scripture at all. So are we done? Uh, yeah. There's still 4,000 languages, and these are active living languages. Now, you look at that, you think, oh, in whose lifetime? But well, look at this. Same information exactly. There's about 5.6 billion people with the whole Bible in the world. The vast majority of the world does have the whole Bible in their language. That's pretty awesome. 786 million of the world have the whole New Testament. 470 million of the world have portions of the Bible. It's being worked on, or a lot of them are. There's still 252, a quarter of a billion people that have no scripture whatsoever. To give you some idea, there's 330 million people in the U.S. Last year, that was the 2019 statistic, 330 million people living in the U.S. So a little bit right in between. Those that have some scripture and those that have no scripture. When you look at countries like China, it's actually encouraging to look at the comparison. Look at that little yellow man there. How small a number actually are still without the scripture. This is still a doable project. God can do this. Well, obviously, we know that. I just put this here as a quick, there's so many definitions, and depending on your definition, Um, I had a slide that I took out because it gets so squirrely, but all these, how all the different groups, how they gather the information, um, how they change your information, and there's a ton, and you could look into that. And it is very interesting, but take all those, and every group has a slightly different definition. This is one that I would, this is not documented. This is just one that I work with personally, but a lot of my friends would as well. We talk about what is the unreached. When we say the word unreached, it implies something, right? It means they're totally not reached. And yet at the same time, I understand entirely why they're saying if there's less than 2% evangelicals, it's still unreached because there's not enough to make a change. So those are realities. So what we have here is no percentages put in here because that could be 2%, 5%. Apart from all those numbers, least reached people groups or unreached. could we say they're people groups without adequate access to clear culturally relevant teaching of the gospel in the language they know best and who lack ap- ample opportunity as a body of believers to grow on to
1: maturity in their knowledge of Christ to see a church. That's the gist. I think most of the groups would say, "Yeah, that's what we want to see happen. We want to see the gospel clearly presented in a way that people can understand it." This is our last slide here. To look at on this topic. But this was written in the early 1800s. How many of you have read this?
0: You've been to Perspectives. I think that was in the Perspectives course. Um, an inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversion of the heathen. He was born, I, I think he was born in 1792, but in early 1800, at least that's my understanding. But he, if you read his paper, this is, guess who this is? William Carey, the father of modern missions. In his paper, he makes a few comments I thought was very interesting. One he says, some think little about it, referring to the heathen. Some think little about it which is very true. Others are unacquainted with the state of the world also. And you know what? This was written 200 years ago, but it's still our realities today. It's, I read this and I thought, man, nothing has changed. It's still, yet there's still people that
1: are passionate about it too. And I'm so thankful for that. And others love their wealth better than the souls of their fellow creatures.
0: Brothers and sisters, let's not fall into that category because we're going to face our Lord someday. You only have a short time on this earth and you have forever with him. Do not live for wealth. Wealth is not bad, but don't live for it. Keep the souls of your fellow men and women of this world. Regardless of where he puts you, regardless of what your role and career, keep
1: the heart of God, the souls of men. I want to make sure I leave some time for questions here. What I love to do is
0: just take a little bit of time and just kind of go through the, the story of the Moy. This is one people group that in 2000 were 100% unreached, unengaged, missed, they'd never had anything. Nobody knew they existed. Talked about that this morning. They hadn't ever heard the name Jesus, but they'd also never seen a white man. They'd never seen anything. They'd never seen cloth. And we jumped out of the helicopter the first time. They started pulling. They'd never seen this before. All these strange colors stuck to us, and they didn't come off real easy. This was a whole new thing for them, totally without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the nations would know that I am God. And that was a phrase you see all through the Old Testament.
1: This was that valley I was talking about. I don't know if you can see our house here. That's where we lived. Um...
0: There was, but you can't see, but in amongst those trees, to see for us, white men, we make space and open it up and it was different. But for them, they were all in there. Nobody had ever seen them from the airplanes before.
1: You see the two Moy men there? This was later that day after we cut a bunch of trees down, the helicopter came back. But here's one fella,
0: and there's the other fella right there. Um, and we're standing back and taking pictures, and they were so curious. they're hiding behind trees and. Um, that was in the year 2000. They had never seen cloth. They didn't wear cloth. They were a very different lifestyle with their kids. This was that first day after the helicopter left, Steve took this picture. And these guys were chatting away, talking to us. This was after we'd had the Abba Abba experience and all that. Um, you can see the guy pointing off. That's Dai Fufu. He knows the Lord today, loves the Lord today. But he's pointing off, and I have no idea what he was talking about. And I've asked him, he says, I don't know what I was talking about. He could have just, that was a long time ago. I'd love to know what he was talking about, but he had a big story here. Uh, you can see the total interest in my heart. <laughs> what? I do remember thinking thoughts like this. How are we ever gonna learn that? And I also had this thought go through my mind a lot those first four and a half years. How will we ever see a church established amongst these people? They were a cruel, cruel people. Kill a lot with my language helper one day went on to explain how he'd killed his wife and they said well then I killed my other wife and then I killed my third wife and I'm like but they talk about it so nonchalantly and it's true kill, kill, kill they would kill their own brother to take their brother's wife because they want a fourth wife they're just heartless people watching the mothers how they would cheat their children you cannot fathom cruelty until the human mind becomes as cruel as it can possibly be. And the mothers were very cruel to their children because they wanted the evil spirits they're always watching to know, I don't like this child. Don't take it. If You showed love for anybody or anything. The, whole, the spirits would take it. So if you showed you liked your children, you just signed the death warrant for that child. We've had mothers literally cut the toes off their baby's feet, the small toes that start with that. And first time we saw that, um, my sister was, this baby was sick and pasty, but three days old and wasn't looking good. She's going down the body, trying to figure it out. Why? She got to the toes and some of the toes were cut off. It's very naturally upset. Why did you do that? Three day old baby. And the poor mother said, I've had five babies and the spirits took them all. So I'm trying to make this one ugly. So the spirits will let me keep it. Like That's lost. That's unreached. That's what life under Satan, when people say, I've, I've heard this, and I try not to kill them on the spot, but when I've heard people say, you should leave them alone, they're the happy the way they are. It is probably the most ignorant statement the human mind can come up with. When you're under Satan, you're not happy. There's nothing nice about it. There's nothing utopic about it. It's a nasty life
1: without Christ. So I remember that day thinking, how are we going to plan a church here? This was our laundry room. We moved in with our families. Just behind
0: my wife there is where we built our house. So we cut these trees down, and we were, it was fun. It was exciting. It was tough, and it was hard. We wanted to quit, yet we were thrilled. I mean, all those emotions go through your mind. Watching our kids, and all three of them are heading back to the field. The one of them, the baby carrier there now is engaged, and talk about going overseas. That was our house. That's about a year later. It doesn't take long. You know what? Honestly, we loved life in the tribe. We loved it. It wasn't always easy, but we loved it. Spent four and a half years investing the people, understanding everything about them. They have 32 types of bananas. We wanted, we wanted to know everyone by sight. Occasionally got it right. <laughs> you ask them, so what birds are in the tribe? They would all name off anywhere from 73 or 74. They would never repeat one. Their brains are so sharp, they get to know every bird in their tribe. And so you, but that's at the material level. Then you want to get into how they believe and what are they afraid of and the evil spirits, the name of the spirits. We began to find out these people have no concept of any good spirit. Every spirit is evil. Every spirit's out to get them. Evil spirits have taught them that spirits live in water. So if you're healthy, you can drink water. But the moment you're sick, you can't drink any water. Dehydrate and die very quickly. Pregnant woman for nine months can't drink water because then she'd be putting water in with a human baby. But for nine months, they suck. Sugar can get fruit. But most of the babies were miscarried lots of stillborn and when we saw because they didn't have the help the ladies had a bark skirt men had a gourd on but when we see a lady you know when she's becoming pregnant you can tell pretty quickly and um we learned quickly don't say anything because they got very upset and they would i am not they could be nine months like huge i am not pregnant because if they the spirits heard they're pregnant and again you talk about that later remember how the spirits couldn't tell if you were pregnant or not (laughs) god knows but they would def- deny being pregnant because if the spirits heard they were pregnant, the spirits would kill the baby and they'd miscarry. And so we found only 10% of the babies that we saw a pregnant woman, only 10% were a living child a year later. Incredible mortality under Satan's way. This was learning their language and culture. They came to start teaching. We actually taught 10 of them first. Um, of the 10, eight got saved after about six months going through the whole process with them from Genesis to the resurrection of Christ. And then um, we worked with those 10 to teach the whole group. And this was one of the Moy guys teaching. It was so fun to watch, step back, work with them, but let them do the teaching. And what I want to show you next is, in a couple of slides here, is the, um, their story. After they sat for six months listening to this, they sat and they'd listen. Five days a week, we'd teach it, probably two, three hours a day. Um, you can see the pictures going through the story of the Bible all around the church building, if you want to call it that. I want to talk about him. Then you're going to see him. I think it's the t- second guy speaking in the short clip you're going to see in a moment. But this guy's hearing for the very, very first time. He's been hearing the story of Jesus, the story of the Old Testament, the story of God and his power and his love for man, He's reaching out to man, He's drawing man. And then you see this Jesus coming. In the, and remember I mentioned this morning, John the Baptist and behold the Lamb of God. They got so excited and they heard that phrase. And you go through all of this with them and they fall in love with Jesus. And this was the day that he heard, this picture was taken by a friend of mine. Some of you might know, Rich, I know you know. Brown. But this is when he's hearing right here that this spirit, the first time there's a good spirit, that they're hopeful, and they're, but then they just
1: heard here that the spirit is crucified. They know you can't kill a spirit. He cannot be the lamb of God if he dies because he's not God.
0: And so that frustrated them to no end. This one they thought was going to be their hope just got killed, meaning he's not a spirit, meaning he's not God, meaning he can't be the redeemer. Yet, blowing his mind how that could possibly be true, that someone would even care
1: so much for them that he would die for them. I'm trying to put all those pieces together. Because we have the most precious thing in a Savior. Share it with the world.
0: So this next one is this, their stories. It's three minutes. Just kind of, some of them, this is that day. This was filmed that day after they heard, well, actually the next day, that he rose again. And once they heard he rose again, then it starts to click. Wait, then he is, only God could do that. And maybe he is. Is he the Redeemer? Well, if he's the Redeemer, then my sins, all this was coming together. So this next video you're going to watch is, the, is what took place the next day after he taught on the resurrection. Isn't that cool? You're going to meet them someday. You're going to meet them. You're going to stand around the throat worshiping the Savior, the Lamb. So a church was born, and the work is only just starting. Now you're investing in them and seeing a church come to maturity.
1: This, this was, picture was taken the same day as that, actually. He had complications to work through. This was that we started teaching. We
0: thought, well, let's not get into baptism too quickly because water, and it's such a major part of the culture, and the spirits live in water, and they've never in their ever life ever taken a bath, never washed because water is evil. Babies are never clean. Nothing is ever washed with water because water is evil. You can drink it if you're healthy, but that's the only time. We thought, let's hold off on baptism because it's pretty complicated, right? So we got started teaching through Acts. You don't get very far into Acts. And what what happens? 3,000 believers. And and we thought, we'll just kind of skip that and talk about it later. Well, they're like, well, what was that? Well, you know, it's water. (laughs) 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 What? Tell us. Okay, well, this is what he did. And we'll talk about that later. No, we want to hear it now. That's what the early church did. They wanted to know. So that day they went up, this is right behind my house there and they put put up a dam and made a little baptismal.
1: Came down and said, okay, we're ready. You got to come baptize us. People had a new relationship with God and they wanted the world to know. And um, you can't imagine watching people that have been
0: scared to death of water choosing to go underwater because of his faith in a new savior. Um, we baptized the first couple, but then they started doing it. And the men, they would hold just like that, just shove them. You're going down. Because of equality in this day and age, the women wanted to be baptized too. And so I say that facetiously. It's a good thing. The husbands would baptize the wives, and it was so fun to watch them. Um, they would hold their shoulders. And if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, yes. And do you know for sure that when you die, you know where you, they would start just drilling their wife, like harsh, <clears> that the spirits hear it all. And then the wife is going, hurry, hurry, just do it, just do it. Just, with all their might, they just throw them underwater. <laughs> and they would just, on their own volition, none of this picking them up pretty, and you know, all across and all just right. They just would come stumbling out of that water, grinning from ear to ear. Just amazing to watch. But what you, even in this picture, what you don't see, see the man in the background in the blue shirt? That's Bubai. He killed his wife, killed a couple of wives, but he killed, the boy in red a Sapaye. Bubai killed Sapaye's mom when he was about 12. I was with him, not with him, when he killed him later that day. And he was explaining to me the story, how he chopped his wife up. And I said, Bubai, you have a boy this big. And that was him, He's an elder in the church today. Bubai is. Um, Bubai can't, he's got two or three wives. He disqualified as an elder, but the younger men are elders. Three of them now. But here's Sapai in love with Jesus, knowing his dad beside him killed his mother, and yet there's forgiveness, and it's all under the blood because that was under the old life. Absolutely, you just you could look at these pictures. And Brooks, you know this. You know what it's like every picture is just a story of God's magnificent grace. Here's the ordaining of the elders. This fellow right here, Bomani. At birth, we learned the word Guda Guda which is twin. And um, we came up, we were learning language. And, oh, he's a good as What is that? And everybody kind of spat and disgusted. Turns out he was the living twin. Anytime a mother gives birth, any twins here? Anytime a mother gives birth to a twin, twins, everybody immediately starts to mock her. And she's greatly shamed because what's happened, she clearly ate, drank some water and put a spirit in with the baby. So the spirit has been growing with the baby. If you have two, there's a spirit in a human. How do you know which is the spirit? Stronger one, the healthiest one that's eating the human, the weaker one. And so as soon as a mother gives birth to twins, it's her job, and she does it with relish because there's a twin eating her baby or a spirit. So she lays the strongest baby on the ground and just stomps on it until it's dead because that's a spirit that's been eating her baby. And the other one now can be healthier because she killed the spirit. That's bondage. That's bondage. Talk about unreached. That's unreached. There's a lot of people groups with all different habits, Different fears, different worldviews, but it's service to Satan. And there's nothing nice about it. So, that guy in the yellow there, Boomani, he's an elder today. His testimony is phenomenal. He's the most sweetest, gentlest. I just got a text from Steve just a couple days ago saying, Tim, you won't believe Boomani. But this was a twin, the surviving twin that was kind of scorned because he grew up with the spirit. He was in the womb with the spirit for nine months. There's a, there's a negative connotation to that but yet deeply in love with Jesus and the most faithful, gentle, sweetest man. And when you meet him someday, just to smile, you'll probably know you're meeting Mo money.
1: This whole thing of reaching the world is an awesome privilege. <clears throat> they love the word.
0: They love God's talk. And the word for the, for the scriptures that they use is anigisi me me na kapuke, which is um, the creator of one's talk on a leaf. They don't know paper. They don't. That God talked, He put on a leaf that we can read. Isn't that great? Great. The Creator ones talk on a leaf. Got this picture from Steve not too well. This was probably a year ago. Um, He said, Tim, I just had the men's Bible study. Probably looks different than yours. (laughs) It's your brothers in the Lord, but they're different. This is a picture we took when we first got in there. And the babies all looked like there's very few children. Most were dead. They just, there was very, very, very few children. And the women never washed, never cleaned. Kids are treated harshly. They can't ever show affection to a child. If they fall and cry, the mo- mothers would just pick them up and yell at them for being so stupid. The words they would use is, we talk about swearing like a sailor. I heard these mothers say things that just blow your mind. That's life under the enemy. That's when in Acts, it talks about being transferred from darkness to light. That's darkness. And the love of Christ is light.
1: Guys, we don't, it's an amazing privilege we can share with the world. This is today. Kids everywhere. Kids are all over.
0: Lots of them. We started a school and there's hundreds. We never saw more than five or six kids at a time. Now they're just everywhere. But this, this, look at, we would never see a baby first to be clean. But the joy and the freedom, it's just love makes such a
1: difference. And Jesus changes the life. This is my last slide. We'll do some questions. But the purpose of the church is to glorify God. Our next responsibility is to share God with the world, right?
0: The Moy Church is growing. They're facing some struggles. The government's handing out money literally by the box full to keep everybody, the Papuans, happy a lot of the church, some of the men are being distracted and they're running off after money. That's the big prayer request right now. Materialism happens anywhere to any heart at any time. But at the same time, the Moy Church three years ago said, we have a responsibility to bring this message to another people group. So just like we have a training, very much like Radius, in Indonesia we have a training. And so they worked hard. They learned Indonesian. And now they, three years ago, went off to the training so they can bring this message to somebody. Else. I just got this two or three weeks ago, this picture. My sister sent us to Tim, the first prayer card for Moy. This family wants to bring the gospel to somebody else. This is Timothy and Naomi, their little baby. Um, they've given their lives to bring the gospel to another people group. And there's also a single man named Joshua with them. Three of them in the training. The, the Moy church sent them out. That's what we want to see happening around the world. That's an incredible privilege to be a part of them. I and mean, Give your life to something that will last forever.
1: You won't all get the privilege of going but you all can be a part of it. That's just so important. Any questions? We have about eight minutes here. And by the way, if you ask questionable statistics, I'll probably nod my head and agree with you. But I'll do my best. But any questions at all? Not not until the gospel is presented. They might have cut it back a little bit, weren't quite so harsh,
0: but there really wasn't a change until after. We were careful, like even, I don't know if you notice, a lot of them have a lot of scars all over them. But if they get, for example, shot by a, cent- or a bit by a centipede or a scorpion or a snake, different things, they believe an evil spirit's been shot into them. So immediately they have to get their blood out because they know life is in the blood, so they bleed themselves. And a lot died. Most of the children would die. But a lot of the adults, most adults would live. They'd go unconscious or even a coma for a few days and come back. But they would literally try to get their blood out, to get the spirit back out because the spirit's been shot in. Well, everything inside of you is screaming, don't do that because they're dying. And don't, you know, I never saw them do it to children, though I'd hear afterwards that the child had died. But we watched them do it to adults. That was hard. We'd encourage them not to. We'd say, we have a zapper, like an electric probe thing, and that stops the poison. A scorpion bite will stop hurting if you give yourself an uh, electric shock. It's really fun. <clears throat> <laughs> but it feels better than the scorpion bite. But we would offer it, but you know what? A couple of them tried it, but by the next day, they're like, no, that spirit's still in there, and they had to bleed it out. Until Jesus brings the solution, there's, you just, it was really futile to try and change a lot of these things that were very frustrating to watch. Um, the Lord has to change that, and the truth of God. So even how they treat their children, there was times, I remember one lady grabbing a boot, and just wailing on a ch- child. I said, that's my boot. You're going to wreck it. I mean... I didn't want her beating in the child, but at least I could get the boot away by saying that's my boot, don't wreck it. I mean, that sounds heartless, but they're, they're going to beat their child as soon as they're out of sight all the time because of the Spirit. So I, there was times
1: you stopped them, but you found a way to say it without a, let the Lord's light, let the love of the Lord change how they. Any other questions? Go through Scripture and you start to just let the narrative unpack truth as you go through God's Word. Incredible, incredible
0: to see what they get. Even then, go through the. New, it was amazing to start teaching. You get through church and this, you have new believers, and then you get into church and you get into church leadership, and you start defining. They're like, they start joking right away. All oh, then you can't be an elder. You got four wives. You're still a kid. You can be an elder. How do we do this? I mean, it just it's interesting how quickly they pick up on some realities that are there. I want to say this, guys. There's a lot of unreached people groups, and they all look very different. This was a, Wycliffe said this might have been the very last totally uncontacted people group in the world. So don't think giving your life will mean you get to go to Moy. There might be, if there are still more, we just don't know about them, and maybe you'll get to find them. But people groups are in the city, people groups are in mass numbers, people groups are in Moy. We thought 250, but maybe 1,500 when we first got there as we got to know. But, and now they've grown, but there's still only a few thousand at best, maybe 3,000 more. Um, small people group. It's one of the ethnos, they need the gospel. But there's ones that are in the millions, and they're really, really tough to get to. They were tough because they were very secluded, yet they had no previous problems for us to deal with. It was kind of nice in many ways. Um, they treated us horribly part of how they treated each other. They don't have a word for offense. You can't offend anybody. You can do it anything you want, anytime you want. So that made it interesting. And to not respond back in the
1: flesh, because there's a lot of times we wanted to. And yet you go to other parts of the world, the challenges are just very, very different. Probably if you ask five missionaries, you get five answers. I would probably, I would say that's an unreached group.
0: When I'm talking people group, I'm referring to an ethnic, ethnicity, ethnos, the the Greek word, um, a a, a race, a people group. Race is probably too broad, but an actual ethnicity. Um, Though, if God has him here, that's the people group God has him amongst to reach, so it doesn't disqualify him from sharing the gospel. In fact, that's his mission field. But I would have a hard time saying that's a people group in this terminology, and I know you would agree with me. Um, it's nice to answer your question that way, because that's a... Um, but there is many ways. And honestly, I want to say this with great clarity. Right now, there's a lot of different organizations out there. And I, I'm just so thrilled by the love of our God that he would use his people. And we all have little different niches. Every organization is a little different, has a little different definition for the unreached. And that's great. Um, we all have a passion. I know every, everyone out there has a passion to see God's word clearly presented to all people. And numbers would be a little different. We were just as a mission starting through, because we've always said there's about 2,000, 2,500 people groups. Because when we say unreached, we've been very clear, it means there's nothing. But really, there's, there's great, and we're actually in the process, I'll just be honest with you, thinking it through, should we just change our, and start saying there's five to 6,000? Broad in it, because that's more consistent. But it's hard to know, because our role, our niche in missions is really the secluded that'll never hear unless somebody goes, they won't get a single word like the more we had to put it into writing, we had to write their language out it's never been done. Then we have to translate scripture and that's, that's takes time. We all have different niches and yet God's using all of us, all of his people, many different ways to to build his church. That's beautiful. Every builder on this world is different. And that's
1: part of the creativity and the beauty of our God. All of us in spite of us. That's a good question, Frank. Um, yeah, I would say that's a good group, an unreached group.
0: One minute left, 30-second question, or a one-minute question that we can just close after that.
1: If it's a tough question, we'll close when you're done. In Moy, um,
0: probably there's still a lot of the tribe hasn't even heard because they're very spread out. They're spread out for 10 days throughout the jungle, and there's some that haven't actually heard. Uh, I don't know exact numbers. I'm hearing from Steve maybe about half of the tribe are believers now. Some of them just have said, that's great, but they're really not too interested. Um, they've also been very clear, we don't have to fear the spirits anymore. They've really run away since there's so many Christians here now. And they're not even doing a lot of the old animism, but they have certainly not put their faith in Christ either. Um, so there's, there's a mixed bag. But Steve, what I'm hearing may be half of the tribe, but there's still of that half that aren't saved. There's a good number of them haven't heard the gospel yet, too reaching their own one of the believers just got because of their culture just got married to a girl from a far area he had never which is normal he had never met her and when he went to meet her found out there's they hadn't heard the gospel she was not saved so he we went back home and got about five of his friends believers and they all hiked over and they taught for six months and she got saved and a bunch more got saved and he says now I can marry her but he kind of had to marry her but <laughs> but it was exciting to see their testimony they came back and said, so, okay Wife got saved, let's get married. It's, it's, it's complicated in these cultures when it doesn't fit our pretty, I'll date you because you're a believer concept versus, hey, I just found out I'm getting married to this girl and all the payments have been made. And if I don't, there's going to be some people
1: dying. You, you, what do you do? Give the gospel really well, quick. We didn't, that's why we were so scared. <laughs> um, we knew we needed to do something.
0: And... Um, the Lord, you know, the Lord gives a piece that passes understanding. If I were to theoretically sit and listen to that, I would not have done that. But I know in the middle, the Lord just walks you through. I remember my wife has a hard time saying goodbye to me for three days when she's still the kids. But that day when we said goodbye to our wife and she, we knew we might not see him again. I knew I was leaving my wife with three little kids and they were four on down. That really pulled hard at me and saying when, as I was saying goodbye, I might not see him on the side of the earth again. Really, really felt that way. And yet the Lord gives a peace that gives a grace that's sufficient. If I could just leave with one last thought, and we we'll talk about missions. I know my time's up, but one minute. God talks about His grace is sufficient. That's really literal. And my parents went to Indonesia in 1974. They retired after 35 years. But they got there in Indonesia in 1974, no electricity, no water. It was a mess, and it was difficult. And we had people, literally, I remember kids crawling in our house and stealing all, it was, it was tough. And mom had four kids, and three months after they got there, the fifth kid was born. My youngest brother. I was still five when the youngest was born. So five kids in five years in the mission field. Cloth diapers. It was tough. No water. Like it was tough. Um, jump ahead to when my wife and I went. We got there in '98. My parents came to visit us, and my mom only had two boys at that time. My mom. My wife had two boys. And she had disposable diapers. We had electricity. We had Wi-Fi or internet anyways. We had all the convenience of this modern world and way better place than my parents had in a good neighborhood in Indonesia. And Kathy and I were really struggling. This is hard. (laughs) And my mom and dad came and my wife got real old and realized, well, they did it much harder. And then she just sheepishly asked my mom, she said, May, you did this with five kids and I'm struggling with two. Would you do it? Mom's first answer was probably actually, she says, I don't remember. But then she said something is one of the most insightful things I've ever heard in the concept of reaching this world. She says, you know what? God gave me sufficient grace for five kids. He's given you sufficient grace for two kids. It was probably just as hard for me as it is for you. Sufficient means sufficient, and not five kids, ten kids, two kids, or no kids. It's tough, and I bet you it's just as hard for all of us. And I thought that was a good answer. God gave me, the way she said it was, God gave me five-kid grace. He's only giving you two-kid grace. It's sufficient. And that's a good way to look at all of this. I couldn't do that. No, we can't. None of us can, but he gives sufficient grace to do what he calls us to do. Whatever that role, whether it's going over there, going to India, going to Pakistan,
1: or reaching your neighbor, or those that work across the street, it takes the sufficiency of God's grace to do that.
0: Lord, we look at the world with our small minds and our small eyes, and we see so little of it. We get a bit of a taste when we fly across this continent and see the incredible size, town after town and people after people. Those of us have been privileged to fly into some of these more third-world countries, we see vast numbers of people and houses and tough living. How are you going to reach this world? Lord, that's your job, not ours. Missions was your idea, not ours. It's your passion, it's not ours. Lord, help us to walk in obedience to you. Give us what we need to do what you are calling us to do. And Lord, I know in this room, some it'll be from here in Canada, some it'll be in some of the most horrific, uncomfortable, painful situations that any of us are ever in. But that's reality too. Or would you give us the heartbeat that regardless of the cost,
1: our life is yours? Or would you bless each one in here, Lord, and just give us the ability to all on our knees before you with our hands open. Thank you for what you've done for us. And thank you, Lord, that you set the model, you set the bar by giving your own life for right. us. All right, guys. So uh, that was Tim's last session show.
0: Can we just give Tim a big round of applause? <laughs> Um, So yeah, thanks again, Tim, for for sharing with us. That was was really encouraging. And uh, we'll be looking forward to having uh, Brooke sharing with us uh, tomorrow. Um, So uh, right now, we're going to go to the bazaar again. So if you're a missions rep, you guys can uh, get up and start uh, heading out for that. Um, So once again, we'll be having the bazaar out there, talk to the missions reps uh, at their tables. Um, So tonight, we will be having the international dinner that's starting at uh, 530 here in the chapel. However, if you are making a cake for the cake auction, uh, we need to have that in the chapel by 4.30.
1: Um, so be sure to have that here um, yeah, by then. Uh, thanks, guys, and you are dismissed.